0: The Blevins Franks Report, with Rob Kaye of Blevins Franks Wealth Management. Well, it's time here on this Sunday morning at Riviera Radio, where we talk to Rob Kaye, Blevins Franks' senior partner. How are you doing, Rob? I'm very well, thank you. How are Yourself? I'm very well, thank you. Well, a few short weeks back in July, inflation in the United States hit a 40-year high of 9.1%, which prompted the Federal Reserve into a series of aggressive interest rate rises which we were told would push America to the brink of recession. But this week, the Dow Jones came close to exiting the bear market and we're now being told America could avoid a recession. However, before we ask you to explain this apparent
1: U-turn, what caught your eye in the news this week? Well, I suppose holidays are are the uh, de rigueur at the moment, Howard, and this week the French press began its bizarre annual infatuation with whether politicians go on holiday. He could make a a programme out of it. Um, After an unusually late session that continued into August, the French Parliament has now paused for the summer and the government is headed for the beaches and to the mountains. Um, As I think we all know, Emmanuel Macron and his wife are spending the next three weeks in Bournemouth, Morsa, at the presidential retreat there, down in the Var. His stay was described as a summer study break rather than a holiday. His ministers are free until the next cabinet meeting on the 24th of August, but they may ta- they and may- they must take their breaks at what is described as destinations compatible with the exercise of their responsibilities, which in essence means within a two-hour flight from Paris, in case their urgent presence is required. So in practice, this largely means staying in France. I don't know what you call the plural for a group of politicians is, but let's call them a gaggle. And if you're allergic to them and reports are to be believed you would do well to avoid the Mediterranean coast for the next few weeks. Sticking with travel news, unsurprisingly, the two major changes that were due to be introduced in 2022 for travellers entering the EU, the enhanced passport scanning system and the introduction of a €7 visa for tourists have both been delayed for another year. The EES and the ETS schemes will still be introduced, but for the time being the European Commission has pushed them back to start dates in 2023. The EES system is now expected to be introduced next May, while the ETIAS will come into effect in November 23. The EES entry and exit system is essentially an enhanced passport scanning system, which means passports will not only be checked for ID and security, but also for entry and exit dates, in effect tightening up enforcement of the 90-day rule that limits the amount of time non-EU citizens can spend within the bloc, without having a visa. It shouldn't affect non-EU citizens who live in an EU country with a resident permit or a visa, though. The ETIAS system will apply to all non-EU visitors entering the EU, tourists, second-home owners, those making family visits, and for people doing short-term work. It will require visitors to register in advance for a visa and pay a €7 fee. The visa will be valid valid for three years, and it can be used for multiple trips. Essentially, the system is very similar to the ETA system are required for visitors to the USA. Residents of an EU country who have a residency card or a visa will not need to apply for this visa. Both systems will only apply to people who do not have a citizenship of an EU country, for example, Brits, Americans, Australians and Canadians, to name just a few, and it will only be used at external EU-Schengen borders, so it won't be required when travelling within Europe, such as between France and Germany or France and Spain, for example. Finally, I was intrigued to read this week that a French company is aiming to make it easier to scatter your loved loved one's ashes by providing a drone service. The company offers drones guided by professionals which will scatter ashes while the family can organise a ceremony to witness the flight. There's also an option to receive a video taken by the drone which then allows loved ones to return to the site. Apparently the same service is available for pets as long as they don't weigh more than 90 kilos. French law actually allows for ashes to be scattered in nature as long as it doesn't include a waterway or public road. Prices for the drone service have started at €390 Euros, and the increase up to 1300 dependent depending on your personalised location.
0: Wow. Um, I've just been looking up on Quora for your collective nouns for politicians. And? Uh, hypocrisy... An impairment, <laughs> a self-interest, an ambition, an incompetence, a disappointment, a failure, a farango, an embarrassment, and an omni-shambles. I think I prefer gaggle, Howard. I think gaggle is, I think <laughs> gaggle is for geese, but anyway. <laughs> uh, America is home to many of the world's biggest firms, so like me, many of the listeners are probably confused about how it can be on the verge of a deep
1: recession, then a couple of weeks later, it can avoid it. Um. that's a sentiment that's been echoed by lots of clients over the past few weeks after seeing their portfolio valuations recover in July. Unfortunately, when the mainstream press starts to to scare us all to death with economic doom and gloom um, and using words such as recession, the reality is we're usually heading out or away from it. We're certainly not out of the woods yet, but a series of indicators are starting to suggest that the forces driving global inflation may have reached their peak. Commodity prices and supply bottlenecks are easing, so the world could be heading for a period of disinflation. I don't think it's too dramatic to say we've all just lived through an unprecedented period in history. The global economy experienced the worst price spiral in at least a generation due to a combination of pent-up demand for goods and services after the pandemic, a crippled supply chain from Asia, followed by the supercharging of energy and food prices after Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Unsurprisingly, this perfect storm of events has driven up inflation across the world. Global recession fears and increased production from the world's biggest oil producers has driven down oil prices by 25% from their peak in June. The price of wheat, soya, copper, aluminium and iron ore have also fallen dramatically in recent months, wiping out the price peaks triggered by the war in the Ukraine. That raised the spectre of a full-blown material shortage. Now, the resumption of grain shipments from Ukraine last week should alleviate further the pressure on those prices and on inflation. The United Nations Food Prices Index actually dropped by 8.6% between June and the end of July. I think the quiet story of the summer is the easing of Asian supply chain disruptions, which has brought down shipping costs and shortened delivery times. Freight costs from Asia are down nearly three-quarters of a percent, and the shortage in components such as semiconductors have also improved since June, which will boost everything from car-making to consumer electronics. Just as this combination of pressures drove up global costs over the past 18 months, the reversal should now result in disinflation. A word of caution though, two factors could derail disinflation in Europe. The largest single driver of British and European inflation is natural gas prices. So a Russian black gas blockade this winter, coinciding with the start of the European Union's oil import ban, could keep inflation at eye-watering levels on this side of the pond. Another driver is companies increasing the price of their goods and services, which also will prolong the inflationary pain for consumers. Is what you were talking about what
0: the markets describe as a black swan event?
1: The the world uses some very emotive expressions, doesn't it, Howard? The expression black swan event is used to describe a short-term crisis that could present a longer-term opportunity. In financial terms, black swans are always, or they always start, with stock markets going into meltdown. Over the past 50 years, we've experienced around 10 with varying degrees of severity. The worst was the global financial crisis of 2007 and 2008 when stock markets fell nearly 60% over a 12-month period, then took around three years to recover. Usually the meltdown is quick. I'll never forget Black Monday back in October 1987. It was my first professional experience of a big correction. Markets dropped 30% in five days, then took over 12 months to recover. The same thing happened in 2020 when COVID attacked the world, Markets dropped 30% in about 19 days, but most had recovered their lost ground within six months. Since the start of 2022, at the worst point, markets were off by 20%. They have now recovered half their lost value. I can't tell you when they will be back above the high water mark, but the one thing I can say with certainty is they will be back. These past few years have been different. So
0: does today's climate present more challenges to preserving and growing
1: your wealth? Uh, what What the past couple of years should have taught us is none of us know what's around the corner. Preserving and growing wealth in today's financial environment can certainly be challenging, but is it any more challenging than it was at any point in the past or it will be in the future? I tend to think not. I don't think the fundamentals we face on the morning of Black Monday back in October 1987 are too different to similar situations we face today and we will face in the future. The big difference is speed. Due to IT advances, events and issues simply happen quickly these days, and if you bury your hand in the sand or put off doing something, the consequences are usually worse when they do come home to roost. These days those consequences tend to arrive quicker because technology joins up different departments and different entities much quicker because there's no human involvement. As a business, we are challenged by what I think we used to call the superhighway. And as an advisory business over um, our due diligence requirements have increased by, by, by the week just because of the volume of information that's out there on the world wide web and available to every one of us. Now, if we can access that information, the authorities also certainly can. And not doing what you do correctly, you should know whether that's by choice or by accident. These, can be, these days can be picked up in a millisecond because it's completely automated. British nationals can now spend a maximum of 90 days in Europe, in any 180 day period, which means you can't divide your time between Spain, France and Italy, you must leave all of them once you've collectively done 90 days. To remove any restrictions on the amount of time we can spend in France, 150,000 British nationals applied for and obtained the carte de however an amazing amount didn't understand this also makes them French tax resident to justify the cap that says your requirements you must spend 6 months in France and if you do automatically qualify as a french resident then there's this fallacy that residence offices and tax offices don't speak don't kid yourself french functionaries might not communicate but the french government's it system certainly does turning to the fundamentals do investors still allow emotion to influence their investment decisions The the psychology of investing is certainly a dark art, Howard, and and emotion can heavily influence investments and when they are bought and sold. As you would expect, this is constantly studied and interrogated. It's usually referred to as the cycle of market emotion. The first time I came across this was in the late 80s. During the mid-80s, investment markets, fueled by a credit boom and strong economic growth, enjoyed a period of of euphoria. Markets rose by about 140%, but in September 87, anxiety spread through the markets, fueled by irrational shareholder sentiment combined with overinflated stock values versus historical PEs, and the markets fell by about 2%. This was followed in October by a period of deep depression and panic, which resulted in the capitulation, which will forever be known as Black Monday. Global stock markets crashed and 30% was lost, but was it lost? Markets quickly settled down, and over the next 12 months, those losses were gradually recouped. By December 1989, the markets had recouped all their losses and ended that period gaining 64%. We saw this same cycle between 2015 and February 2020. Markets experienced a period of excitement and euphoria, gaining around 80% which was followed in February by a period of anxiety and fear when markets lost around 13% as the COVID-19 virus spread around the world. In March, panic and capitulation caused the markets to drop a further 23%. Then between March and December last year, markets once again recovered and moved ahead, this time by around 110%. Understanding the cycle of market emotion helps us to understand the psychology, but unfortunately, it still doesn't stop people making emotional investment decisions.
0: Can investors achieve better returns by trying to time when they buy and sell investments?
1: Um, after experiencing numerous peaks and troughs, highs and lows, uh, I'm now firmly of the belief that the wise investors are the one who spend time in the market creating a good long term strategy and then have the discipline to stay in the market even when it feels uncomfortable. Time has repeatedly proven they have the best chance of investment success. Trying to time the market carries so many risks, but the biggest risk is probably the risk of missing out. Exiting the markets to reduce risk during a downturn in the market can result in missing out on some of the biggest rebound days. Most people have heard about selling at the top and buying at the bottom, in my experience Seasoned investment professionals rarely get this one right. There is always the temptation to stay in just that little bit longer to make sure you don't jump out too soon when markets start to fall or miss out on a sudden upswing. Once out, there is always a hesitation to move back in. Does the market have further to fall? And doubts about whether if I stay out a little longer, I will catch a bigger upswing. A study was carried out last year which officially confirmed what I've experienced over the past 40 years. If you'd invested ten thousand pounds over the past ten years and remained fully invested for the whole period, you would have enjoyed a profit of eleven thousand pounds, more than doubling your money. Now if you missed the best five days in that ten year period, and by being out of the market your profit would have dropped to six thousand four hundred. If you missed the best ten days, that profit would have dropped to four thousand. And the best twenty days it would have dropped to just seven hundred. Now finally, if you missed the best 30 days in the 10 year, last pen, past 10-year investment period, you would have actually lost £1,600. Putting that into context, Howard, if you were out of the market for less than 1% of the whole 10-year period and missed the best 30 investment days, you would have lost 16% of your original capital. Quite a sobering study, and if I needed any convincing, it put to bed any doubts I had about the merits of having a strategy and staying fully invested. Is there a way to predict which asset class will perform better over a specific period? Well, all I would say is unless you know where the crystal ball shop is, Howard, I don't believe there is. In 2021, the best performing asset class was real estate equity, which returned 27%. The previous year, that asset class would have lost you 12%. 12%. Now, last year, UK equities would have returned over 18%, whereas in 2020, they, again, lost 10%. Typically, we find investors tend to have too much exposure to their home market, which is logical because that's the market we probably know best. When we first meet a British client, they frequently hold way too many UK-based investment assets. Statistics show, if you have a well-diversified portfolio of investments, you'll achieve better returns. Different assets or regions will perform differently and can often significantly vary year to year the diversification that comes with this furry performance can help reduce the risk of having all your assets drop in value at the same time. By having a diversified portfolio covering a range of regions and asset classes, it's often possible to get better returns over a period of time, and importantly, with less volatility. Markets continually evolve, so we believe we all need a solution that's dynamically managed. The asset class that is the best performer one year is frequently the worst the following year, Trying to predict the winner is like trying to pick the winner of the next race at Ascot and even the bookies don't get that right every year.
0: So how do you help your clients establish the most suitable investment approach for them?
1: It's crucial we carefully assess your overall situation, your income requirements, your goals and importantly your time horizon. Before we invest we need to understand what your appetite for risk is and ironically The volatility of the markets over the past couple of years has been really helpful in helping us all to understand just how much volatility we want our investments to be exposed to. If the last two years has been a period of sleepless nights because you are worried about losing your capital, you need to talk to your financial advisor about your risk profile. This is best done objectively with an experienced professional who can then help you to build a diversified portfolio with the right balance of risk and return for your peace of mind. Interestingly. Those who experience periods of high volatility invariably don't subsequently de-risk because they realise their finances have survived and they haven't been wiped out. Unfortunately, far too many people don't enjoy any of the upturns because they keep on sitting in cash, too scared to commit to anything because of what might or could happen. Unfortunately, the really cautious ones are the ones who in the end lose out. If you feel this is the time to finally invest and make your cash work harder for you, but today's investment climate makes you nervous, you could spread the timing of your investments and invest in tranches. This is known as pound or euro cost averaging, and it can help to smooth out volatility and over longer periods of time, potentially improve investment returns. For those who do have capital to invest, do you have any other advice for investing in today's world? We uh, we spoke a little earlier about avoiding overexposure to to specific asset classes and having a diversified portfolio. I would also suggest you don't put all your faith in star fund managers or funds. Just like assets, the best fund managers one year can easily be the worst the following year. Across the world, there are a myriad of available funds. The UK sector alone contains over two hundred funds, which, at first view, all seem to offer similar investment opportunities, but the performances can be different and also quite dramatic. If you invested £10,000 in the best performing UK fund over the past 10 years, your £10,000 would be worth £47,749. If you invested in the worst performing fund, your return would have been a measly £11,451. Globally, performance differences are even more dramatic. The best performing global equity fund would have turned your £10,000 to £74,000. I hope what I've been able to communicate this morning is we need to focus on the fundamentals. A long-term diversified investment approach is vital to help us protect and grow our capital, whatever the economic climate. So if you live in France, or you're thinking of living in France, and you want to discuss your strategic financial planning, you need to have a conversation with Blevins Franks. Our first meeting is entirely complimentary, so what are you waiting for? Alternatively, if you have a question concerning money or finance, um, give us a call. Speak to one of our local partners, and if we can't help, I'm sure we know someone who can. The telephone number of our local French office is zero four nine three zero zero one seven eight zero. 001780. That's zero four nine three zero zero one seven eight zero. 001780. And you can also call our Monaco office, and the telephone number here in Monaco is nine seven 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 five five seven four. That's 97775574. And if you prefer, you can find out more about Blevins Franks or arrange a call with a Blevins Franks partner by simply visiting our website, which is www.blevinsfranks.com. Many thanks, Rob. Always
0: enjoyable. We'll talk again next Sunday morning.
1: Look forward to it, Howard. Have a great week.
0: The Blevins Franks Report. If you would like more information on any of the topics discussed in this program, contact your local Blevins Franks office on 0493 001780 or riviera at blevinsfranks.com.
1: Are you buying, selling or downsizing property? Talk to Blevins Franks about the tax implications. Besides capital gains and income tax, France imposes a wealth tax on real estate, and you need to plan ahead for succession tax. When moving country, are you better off selling as a French or UK resident? Blevins Franks offers expert advice and tax and estate planning solutions. Call zero four nine three double zero one seven eight zero or visit blevinsfranks.com.